You're listening to the Motherhood Unstressed Podcast, and I'm your host, Liz Carlisle. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am so glad you're here, as always. And like always, I'm bringing you a guest who knows what they're talking about in the realm of parenting, and not just parenting your children, but parenting yourself as well, and developing key strategies that are not only going to help you survive and thrive in an increasingly stressful world, but to be able to equip your children with the skills that they need to weather the storms when they come. And there's no avoiding the storms of life, as we all know, um, so it's best to be prepared. And that's exactly what my guest is here to help us do today. I'm speaking with renowned naturopathic doctor, Dr. Jen Forrestal, and we're talking about her new book, The Umbrella Effect, your guide to raising strong, adaptable kids in a stressful world. And so Jen is coming with groundbreaking tools that you can put in your toolkit to make sure that not only you are thriving, but your children are going to go off into the world and be leaders in their community. They're going to be able to weather any storm. They're going to be able to show others that despite the stresses of modern day life, you can be happy and successful and thriving. And isn't that the goal as mothers? I think it's our job to not only understand what it's going to take to be successful in a modern fast-paced world, but to be able to do it ourselves and to be able to model that for our children. I think no matter what you say in front of your kids, it's always what you do. And so that's my personal goal, to be the best that I can be mentally, physically, spiritually, to show them what is possible, to be an example. And so I think if you're tuning into this show, you are right in alignment with that. So I'm so glad that you exist in the world and that you are out there doing the same thing for your kids because ultimately, it does start in the home. It is it is up to us as mothers. So thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing this out. If you enjoy it, please uh, tag us on Instagram at Motherhood Unstressed if you've enjoyed this episode. And uh, yeah, please enjoy this episode with Dr. Jen Forrestal. Well, hello, Dr. Jen. Welcome to the show. I'm so glad that you're here. I am so happy to be here. Yeah, um, like we were just talking about, there is a lot to cover and there's a lot to mm-hmm. do um, in the world of mental health for our kids and just making them more resilient. Um, and so I'm so honored that you're here. But before we get into your book, The Umbrella Effect, can you give us um, a bird's eye view of your origin story and how the events in your life led you to the work you're doing now? Sure. Yeah, I'd love to. So I was fortunate enough in my early practice as a naturopathic doctor to start working with an organization in our town, actually, um, that specializes in youth mental health. And in that job, I was seeing, you know, the people who couldn't be in school anymore because of their behavior, their family situations, like really um, difficult cases. And at the same time in my practice um, as a naturopathic doctor, you're seeing a really proactive group of parents who really want to optimize their kids' health. And and it really became clear to me that there's no longer a predictable type of child who's going to be struggling. It just seemed like across the board, we weren't doing enough for the mental health of, of kids out there. So um started to look at the problem from that naturopathic medicine lens, which is really not waiting for something to go wrong, you know, we're not waiting for somebody to get cancer before you treat them, but maybe looking ahead of those types of things and figuring out what you can do in order to prevent those things from happening in the first place. And in mental health, what I think that is, is expecting every single child to experience a series of struggles in their life and good things too, right? Like just living a human life that we know we all will. 
and helping them actively build the skills we know protect people from those challenges. And somehow we just haven't really connected those dots, I don't think, in a way that makes sense to parents and to kids that puts all the pieces together. I, I know myself as a parent, I have two teenagers and a toddler. And, you know, I often feel overwhelmed by the amount of information and things that it seems like we should be doing for our kids. But I actually think there's a really nice way to zoom in on what each child really needs, which coping skills are strong, which ones are missing, and help them like develop those before they need them so that they're not they've already created a story in their minds about what it means to struggle before they struggle. And that story hopefully will um, help them normalize it and move through it rather than having to undo this really, you know, really hard thing that they've experienced. So from there, the Umbrella Project was born and it became a curriculum that runs in hundreds of schools. It became a parenting style and a parenting book. And it just seems the applications are are never ending. And so is my to-do list. (laughs) (laughs) Seems seems about right. Absolutely. (laughs) But I, I, I definitely resonated with what you just said about how we didn't before have this ability to put all the pieces together because it's almost like day to day from the, from the get, from when you bring them home from the hospital, you're almost in like a survival type mode, you know? And then you, you get this stage figured out and you're like, I got this, I'm good. And then something (laughs) changes and you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm a terrible parent. You know, it's like this cycle of like getting Mm -hmm. to the top and then boom, the wheel. It's a roller coaster. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So like you said, looking at each individual child, seeing where some might be strong in their coping mechanisms for stress and where they're not so strong, how do you begin to really assess, um, even if you know your child extremely well? Yeah. Well, we one of the things that I did early on in building the Umbrella Project was actually created an assessment tool. We, we looked at all of the research on coping skills and picked out the top skills that really have a mountain of research to show how effective they are in helping kids. And then created a tool where you can actually go through and assess each of your coping skills and your child can do the same um, with you and for themselves to really understand um, what's going on with their brains. And I think um, most of the time it becomes abundantly clear when you do that assessment how... um, how your child is thriving because of their strengths and really struggling because of the missing gaps. So for example, you know, cognitive flexibility is one of the skills we know are really, really important for kids' development. And if you look at what happened during COVID and kids having to go in and out of school repeatedly, you could really see that those kids who did, who love predictable routine and structure and don't adapt well as the world changes quickly started to really struggle, right? And you could see that whole, um, in their umbrella of coping skills. So mm-hmm. there's a real reason to not just leave it to chance, but to to really understand um, and assess what's going on with your child's coping skills and your own. This is not a, a child thing. This is not a child development thing. It's an yes. everyone thing, right? We can always build those important skills. And um, I don't know any kids who like to be centered out and forced to do anything alone, right? They they thrive when it's a family thing as well. So I always like everybody in the family to be working on something and actively sharing how they're doing that with each other. 
Yeah. And that was honestly one of the greatest themes that I got from the book was not only is this a parenting book to help your kids thrive in a stressful mm-hmm. world, but it's also, there's a lot of self-work for the mother. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of mindfulness and self-care, not just as something that you're telling and teaching your children, but something that you actually model in your own life? Yeah. Well, I mean, my favorite quote um, that I've I think I've ever heard when it comes to parenting is um, be the person you want your child to grow up to be. Don't put opportunities in front of them to try to shape them into something when you're not doing that thing. Instead, zoom back a little bit and be the person you want your child to be. If you want your child to grow up and be active, be active, right? Mm -hmm. If you want them to grow up and be mindful and be in the moment, like put some time and energy into that for yourself so that they can see what that looks like because when we don't know when we're uncertain in the world when we feel anxious we usually just look around and we see what other people are doing and we do that right if we don't know what to do we just kind of look at our community we're like okay do that and Mm -hmm. you're your child's center of the world right they're just so closely connected and resonating with you that if you can put some time self-care is such a good example every mom that I ever see like it's great that you're doing so much for your kids. And I love that. But also, are you showing them? What are you showing them that, you know, they should sacrifice themselves 100% when they grow up and have a family. And every mom that I've ever talked to has said, no, like, that is not at all what I want for my child. You know, and then you have to ask, like, so why are you doing that for yourself? Why don't you show them what it means to say, hey, guys, like, movie night for you guys. And I'm going to go do this thing for myself or, you know, I'm a person in this, in this dynamic too. Yeah. What do you think Mm -hmm. holds mothers, especially back from taking that little extra step, you know, to take a little bit more time for themselves to model this behavior, to be, to have a more active lifestyle. Do you think it's like, they're just stuck in the routine or habits, or do you think it's like a guilt thing? What have you found? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I think, all of those things. And I think it's different for everybody, like really understanding and getting to the bottom of your why, what's holding you back, what is the story that you have, that is stopping you from doing that thing. And you know, for some people, maybe it's, I grew up with a parent who just, you know, prioritized working hard over everything else. And so the second I take a step back, I feel like I'm lazy or people are going to think I'm not good enough, you know, and for other people, maybe it's that they have really low self-compassion and they don't feel themselves worthy of that time. And, you know, or maybe they have a partner who projects that onto them that, Mm -hmm. you know, motherhood is not a valuable output compared to like working, for example. Right. And so that they don't feel deserving of taking that time. And, but I think everybody's story is very different. Um, So really thinking about like, what, why am I not doing that thing? You know, if you want to exercise, what is the real story behind why I'm not getting to the gym when I say I'm going to, and I set the goal and I put it in my calendar and then, you know, within two weeks, I'm not doing it. What, why? It's probably not as simple as I'm too busy. That's sort of our default, I think, as parents, right? Like too busy, can't do it. But most of the time, that's not actually why. 
And you talk a little bit more, more about the importance of storytelling um, mm-hmm. and reframing things in a way that tell, like, because that was something that jumped out to me too, is like storytelling. And I, I never think about that. It's like, what, you're just living your life. You're doing what you're doing. But no, there's always stories behind it. We are storytelling creatures. We can you, are. Can you talk yeah. about that? I think it's so interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, we're not what happens to us in life or the story we tell ourselves about what those things mean. And, you know, if you have a group of friends that you spend time with and you've all been divorced, for example, you quickly learn that the story attached to that same item is very, very different, right? One person might feel like they're divorced because they weren't good enough. And one person might feel like they're divorced because their partner was a jerk and they, you know, were empowered to leave that. Every story Mm -hmm. is different. Um, But it's in life, one of the most critical things is to notice your story and whether it's helping you move forward in life or keeping you stuck. Um, But you have to be able to hear it first, right? So when it comes to parenting, one of the questions I ask my kids all the time is what they think something means. So when things are happening to them, and it's hard as a parent not to see your kids as like an extension of you and to kind of project your your story onto them, right? So if somebody's mean to one of my kids, for example, says something mean, I'll ask them, you know, what what do you think it means that that happened? Or why do you think that person did that? As opposed to saying first, like, that's awful. You must feel terrible, right? This, it means this. Instead of doing that, if you can just step back a little bit as a parent and like try to see your child's story and your own, you quickly learn that, we're each individual. We all see things differently, but the story is what matters. You know, you don't need mm-hmm. to change every situation for your child or get involved. You'll need to help the ones where the story seems like it's really not going to serve them to move forward in life as a, you know, balanced and well person. Now, I know you saying this, like, this is like a no brainer. You talk about this day mm-hmm. in and day out with your clients. But for me, this is huge because I feel like it's such a tiny shift that opens a Mm -hmm. huge door to change because it's like you start telling a different story about your life and your past and what happened and even what happens with your children and you become a different person. Like you Mm -hmm. literally change your, your, your DNA in a way, because it's like, no, that's not who I resonate with. That's not what really happened. I'm choosing to believe this now. And yes, you are a different person after that. Yeah. The most powerful example I've ever had of that is, um, just about um, a year and a half ago, maybe I have, so I have a two and a half year old and through COVID, it was a really difficult time for us. We had a baby. Our teenager was really struggling with her mental health. We like, it just felt like our, our work was hard. Everything was hard. And so my partner and I, our relationship became extremely difficult and strained. And I like to the point where I think he was starting to like Google apartments to rent like it was that level of of stress and what changed everything for us is one day I just decided I was done I was done with the story that I was holding on to for the last two years that I wasn't getting my needs met and that I was you know doing everything for my family and I wasn't being appreciated and I just said you know what that's not who I want to be anymore Mm -hmm. today I start being the person that I want to be moving forward and that was a person who you know, loves intimacy with my husband and is powerful and is, you know, crushing my job and all those pieces. And he'll, he'll tell you this too, like from that day, 
I changed everything about how I was, everything about my story. And I started doing the actions that I felt matched that story. And our whole relationship changed. It rebounded within weeks. We were like, oh, we're back. What happened there? I was like, this is what happened. One day I changed my story and that's it. I literally have chills right now. Like that's incredible. Yeah. That is how quickly and how powerful it can be. And he just responded to the new story of our life that I wrote in a day and changed. That's amazing because, and Mm -hmm. and so often it is the woman, the mother in the house who does shift the paradigm, who does control the entire mood. I mean, we really are the heart of the home in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And have so much power that we don't tap into or give ourselves credit for. Um, But if ever I was doubting that, this was uh, just a complete door opener for me of how much power I actually have. Yeah. Yeah, I'm never, I'm never going to forget that story. So thank you for that. And I know like our listeners tuning in and it's like, wow, like you just planted a seed anytime, you know, the woman feels powerless or put upon or a martyr, like just remember this story right here, right now. Mm -hmm. That is truly a gift. So thank you. Yeah. And, and just like, it wasn't that I wasn't put upon and like, it wasn't any of that. Right. I, all the things were true. And also it's just Mm -hmm. not, the story that was serving me going forward. It was, right? It wasn't powerful for me, so it needed to change. Yeah. Okay, so let's turn our attention back to the kids. Mm -hmm. Um, We were talking before we got started about the state of mental health in Canada, in the U.S. It is, it's it's tough out there, especially after COVID and everything that happened with that. Can Mm -hmm. you talk a little bit about the importance of the work that you're doing in regards to addressing mental health and why is it, do you think, that mental health is on the decline at the rate that it is. Yeah. Again, this is like, this is a big multifactorial problem and I hate to point to one thing or another specifically that's causing it, but we do know I'm in Ontario and um, I just looked at some Ontario stats recently. And I think one third of parents have stayed home from work um, because of a deep concern for their child's level of anxiety. So they've actually missed work days because of their children's anxiety. 63% of Ontario youth um, say that they have a concerning level of anxiety. 63%, that's like an outrageous amount of kids who are not thriving, who are feeling uncertain in the world. And and I think it's it's everything. (laughs) I think it's social media. Mm -hmm. I think I think what COVID has really done for kids is reduce their level of social skills for whatever developmental stage they're at, which makes them less able to connect with each other, which is critical for their well-being. I think, um, you know, like the global world that we live in is a bit scary um, for kids. And I, my daughter has remarked before, she's like, she's in grade nine. And she said to me, I have trouble like being in the grade nine world where there's a lot of petty drama and like that doesn't feel good. So I don't want to be there. But when Mm. I look ahead to the future, it also doesn't feel like a good or safe place. So I just don't know where to stay. I don't know where to be because neither of these places feel like belonging, feel like connection, feel like what, yeah, safe, what she's craving, you know? And so, and I think that's kind of universal across the board that kids are less and less feeling like they have a safe place to go now or ever, 
right? In the future, what they're dreaming about and what they're experiencing, neither feels um, like a, a place that they really want to be. Yeah. Okay. So to the woman listening is like, yep, I'm right there too. I've got <laughs> teenagers, preteens. It's rough. What do we then do? What are some practical exercises or steps that we can take as parents to not soften the ride, but to make them more resilient to have to, to initiate that umbrella effect? Yeah. I mean, one thing that you can immediately do, I think, in your house is make sure that your house is a place of unconditional belonging. I mean, it's hard. It's going to be a, a bigger journey to do some things out in the world, but you can look at your house and you can make sure that your kids have a voice, that they feel like participating members of your family, that they feel like when they come um, home, they belong in that space with you. So part of that is making sure that you just really empathize with where they're at, um, you know, get really curious about their experience, but it's also noticing who they are and what they like and making sure that is present in your home. So um, my daughter is a big soccer player. And so things like making sure that in the background, um, you know, and when the TV's on, sometimes it's women's soccer, right? And sometimes like that she sees herself represented in what we're doing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, same with all the kids, right? Where Where are you finding connection with them? Um, we do a lot of family meetings too, which I think helps a lot. You can just kind of proactively ask your kids like, what are you working on and how can I better support you in that? You know, what do you need? What's working? What's not working for you? I, you know, you can do that with a four-year-old, a five-year-old, like, Hey, where are you at? You know, how, how am I doing as a parent and supporting you? Could I do anything differently than I'm doing now so that you have a little bit more support in the thing that you love to do? So like I, would, little... I would imagine they would love that, you know, I yeah, would imagine, like, yeah. especially a five-year-old like, they're asking me questions. They're talking to me about what I think. Well, let me tell you. Yeah, exactly. And like making them a real participating member of your family um, as their own autonomous little human and not as like a, a, a hierarchy where they're kind of at your mercy of whatever mm-hmm. you want. Like the more kids feel unconditional belonging the more likely they are to start to step out into the world in a way that feels safe for themselves and for others. Because often when kids don't have belonging at home, that's where you see a lot of behaviors that make other kids around them feel less than because it's, you know, everybody's just trying to get what they need. You know, if your child is bullying someone, if they're, if they're doing behaviors that you don't think sound like really kind kid behaviors, that's okay too, right? They're just, they're trying to get their needs met and they're finding ways that are working for them. And so there's a lot of course correcting in parenting where you just have to be more, um, notice more, accept more and, you know, then just slowly course correct. Yeah, no, I love that. And you mm-hmm. talk about the different principles of creating a resilient and happy, healthy child. Is there one that really stands out that you were like, you would like rank at the top? Are they all kind of even? What's the, what's like one of the most important ones that you want to talk about? Um, I think that um, shifting your thinking as a parent to accept and acknowledge that life has challenges and that your child will experience them and that that's okay is a huge one because our reactions to what's happening to our kids tell them a lot about what things mean and like really Mm -hmm. help to create their story. So as a parent, I think if you can 
like take a deep breath and and genuinely try to say to yourself like it's okay it's okay that my parent my kids are having to go through a divorce right now because it's the best thing for our family this will if i can support them in the right way this will help them grow into the people they're going to become it's okay that they have a friend who's being really mean to them like it's okay that they are not thriving in math this whatever it is because we want the best for our kids we don't want them to struggle and so as parents i think we we attach success to happy kids um and instead of attaching success to kids who can get through whatever's happening in front of yeah. them and i think kids can be happy for two reasons one reason they have their own big umbrella of coping skills and not a lot of rain in their life and they're doing okay reason two you have a big umbrella of coping skills that you've got over top of them and you're helping their life to be a little less rainy for now but eventually they're going to leave your umbrella and if they don't have their own um they're not going to be happy so happiness is not the best indicator of parenting success right we have to kind of accept that it's going to be hard and that that is actually needed like that is how our bodies and our brains adapt to stress we we face stress we get through it we learn we did we learn to trust ourselves we learn to you know we build coping skills their skills they need practice so mm-hmm. i think that is the biggest thing like um detach your parenting success from happiness like from child happiness and just more so look for the ability to walk through all the different things in life you know the ability to try to get back to center i love that i love that mm-hmm. it's a, and it to me it's harder in a way you know because you're kind of oh, letting go yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> is there I a way really to like hard. Yeah. Is there a way to do that in a container? Like, can you, do you can you think of any like fun exercises or challenges for your kid that, you know, they're not going to get their heart broken or something like that, but like a way to challenge them where you're not really that involved, but you're also like, okay, let's, let's see, sink or swim. Let's go. Yeah, I can actually. One of my favorite parenting things is risky play, which is like exactly that. It's the container of fun through which you can watch your kids, watch how they navigate challenge and stress they love it parents hate it but like yeah <laughs> <laughs> like i love the definition of, of risky play it's like risk of getting lost pot play with fire speed <laughs> <laughs> you know all the things that we're like no right right um but those types of things are really quite um powerful in developing coping skills in a way that's you know just letting go a little bit of your your kids i can't remember who um came up with this rule but it's called the 17 second rule and it's basically just that when you want to jump in and say no to your kids and they're doing something risky try to step back and count for 17 seconds and see what they do mm-hmm. um and it's like a, it's a bit of a trust exercise but if you can imagine your child's climbing a tree and they're starting to get high and you want to say like get down like that's too high stop right instead step back watch them see what they do and what happens most often in these situations is that your kids will stop themselves at some point maybe their threshold for risk was a little higher than yours but you can watch them navigate stop come down and you're building that layer of trust and you know if they don't then you can intervene and help to teach them what safe is but um i like that too because it's it's like avoiding the knee jerk parenting reaction and just allowing a little bit of curiosity. I wonder what my child's going to do. I wonder what <laughs> height they will stop. 
I love that. I love that. And I think too, like, it's probably hard for a lot of parents. I know it is for me because I grew up with parents who were very like strict and very like on everything, making sure everything was like perfect so that, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't want to say because, so they looked good, but you know, so they thought that they were doing the right thing. And so I recently had my parents visiting and we do like kind of allow more risky play. We allow more like freedom than I grew up with. And to watch their reaction to how I'm raising my child, children, was was not easy. I mean, it was kind of difficult because I could feel their energy and what they were thinking. What would you say to parents who are in the middle? You know, you're not yet taking care of your older parents. You're still raising children. How do you navigate raising authentic, happy, healthy kids while still dealing with the pressures, maybe from a previous generation or maybe just from your own peers who do things differently? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's a hard question too, but also a really good lesson for kids to watch you, um, not necessarily engage in conflict with the differences, but just be okay with them. Right. I think in life we would do a lot better if we were just okay that we're all different Mm -hmm. and we handle things differently. We don't have to all do it the same in order for us to all be doing it well. I guess is, is the right way to think about that. So, you know, kids get used to grandparents who are more strict and have a certain way of thinking about the world. And that's okay. As long as it's predictable for them, what's hard Mm. for kids is when it's very unpredictable, when we oscillate between like, here's how we are um, in our house usually, but when, you know, grandma comes to visit, I'm going to be a different kind of parent or when Mm. I'm, right? If they can predict what's going to happen, their brains feel more safe. Again, like back to the safety thing. Um, so it's it's actually really okay, even if you parent differently than your co-parent, whoever you're parenting with, as long as like those two systems are pretty predictable. You know, I know how mom reacts to this. I know how grandpa reacts to this. I know how whatever other parents are involved. And then kids start to learn to navigate that. So I think you know, holding true to what you do in a very neutral and peaceful way, like it just allowing them to have a different, different way of being than you is, is the, and I know that's like very, very nice thought, (laughs) but (laughs) I have parents too. (laughs) Yeah. I have parents too. And, uh, I get it, but I think I, uh, my sister tends to really resist against my mom's um, parenting ideas. And I just tend to kind of like let them wash Mm. through. And I find, I mean, I would choose my, my system for sure over just a constant tension of like, it has to be like this has to be like this. It can just be both. Why not both? Yeah. I mean, all of your research, all of your conversations, all of your client work, if it, if it were to be boiled down into one theme, which I know is so hard to do, but like, what would you say your main purpose and goal in life is with the book and with the work that you do what do you want the outcome to be I would love to see the next generation of kids raised with a challenge mindset with a mindset where challenge is welcomed and okay because I think that the world the way that it's going is going to present itself with a lot of challenges for this next generation to deal with and I would love to see this this next generation of kids be confident in their ability to take on challenges not 
stuck in the center of a little comfort zone, but really expanding what's possible for each of them and really feeling that alive feeling that comes with pushing your boundaries. I think there's for humans, there's not much better than that. When you really break down those walls, when you're continually kind of pushing into your comfort zone and taking on those challenges, it's such, that's what I think feeling alive really like that's when it really happens you know when you're when you're there so I would just love for each kid to see learn feel that and take on their lives at that at that threshold and it takes all of your coping skills to do it so yeah along the way I think as parents as doctors as schools we need to focus on those really important skills so that kids can be brave Mm, I love it I love it Mm -hmm. we have covered so much we're almost out of time Um, Do you have any final thoughts for the woman listening to this right now who's gotten a ton of really great information, awesome quotes, awesome stories? Um, Do you want to leave her with anything uh, to take home today? Um, I think every assessment, umbrella assessment that we have ever done in a group of adults, because I do this, you know, for corporate groups and all sorts of um, people recognize that coping skills are relevant. Um, self-compassion always comes back as the lowest skill. And we know from the research as a parent, if you have low self-compassion, your child's more likely to grow up feeling anxious um, in the world. So it's a great place to start by just, you know, stepping back a little bit and like being okay with how things are. You can't can't go back, right? <laughs> in the in the past, and you don't need to. Just embracing yourself like you would a good friend. If ever you are questioning your own worth or well-being, think about what you might tell your best friend um, in that moment. And then just continually practice trying to say that to yourself. Um, I think if we could do that as parents, we would be nicer to each other. We would be easier on our kids. We would be able to just see the bigger picture a little more clearly. So yeah. Yeah. And not take things so personally, you know, in life from others. Yeah. 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 Oh, I love that so much. Dr. Jen, um, where can our listener find out more about you and your work online and get the book? Uh, The book's available on Amazon. You can also find it on our website, umbrellaproject.co. And from there, you can find the assessment. It's free online on our website if you want to take the umbrella assessment. It's in the book as well. Um, and then you can also find us on Instagram. Um, our handles at umbrella PJCT. And there I share some more personal parenting tips and a little bit more about my own journey, um, as well as uh, some, some umbrella project curriculum, you know, things, all sorts of different parenting stuff out there. Oh, I love it. I love it so much. And all of that, of course, will be linked in the show notes. Um, I'm just so excited to have conversations like this, because as I was saying before, I feel like we're up against a lot. And so to have leaders like you in the community putting out amazing content, you know, almost daily to have a book, a resource like this out for parents who are trying, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe failing to put all the dots together. Now you have like a tome that you can go on and lean to and read every morning before you really start your day. I mean, that's empowering. Mm -hmm. That's important. And I think it's not only helping the mother out there, but it's helping generations to come because, you're you're improving the mother's life and then you're improving your children's life and you're probably improving your parents' life as well. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. That's so kind. It really, uh, I really tried to write the book for parents in a very concise way that it doesn't take you, you know, 
it fits in your busy life, um, but still provides a, a backbone for thinking about, you know, about your kids and your family. So thank you. Appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for taking the time. Awesome. Yeah. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.